nothing, you lose. I've never been so high in my life. The category is Butch Queen, Butch Queen, Butch Queen, first time in drags at a ball. What it do, good people? Welcome to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. And with me in the studio, I have my boy, film reviews editor at The Rep, Alonzo Duralde. Hey, Ricky. How are you, sir? I'm dandy. That's what's up. And from the LA Weekly, film critic April Wolf. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ricky. Hi, April. Today, we will be reviewing the film Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Dr. Marston, every issue of Wonder Woman is filled with violence, torture, and sadomasochism. This abnormal behavior in your comic is reckless. Plus, we're going to debut a new segment called The Hot Seat. We're going to talk to the director of the upcoming film, My Friend Dahmer, Mark Myers. And as always, we'll have our weekly staff picks at the end of the show. But before we get to the end of the show, how about we start it off? Well, I just asked my man, Alonzo. How you doing, sir? What's good? What is good? Uh... <laughs> uh, that, that's a question we ask ourselves every I know, morning when I know, we wake I up now, what, That's how we get through the day. What is going to get me out of bed? <laughs> uh, what's good is that we are entering the season where I'm a longtime member of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, April, just joined. Uh, but we're at that time of year when we start getting screeners in the mail. Screener season. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, it's kind of a holiday in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, right now it's, it's the smaller stuff, but uh, as we go along, it's going to be, you know, bigger, glossier uh, uh, DVDs arriving via UPS. And that's just a it's a thrilling time of year. I'm very excited for it. <laughs> can you tell in my voice? I, 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 can, I can totally tell. I, can totally, I was going to say, can you take it from a 10 to a 2, please? Yeah, I know. Please. I know. It's a small room. Yes. Sorry, when I'm when I'm really happy about things, I show zero emotion. <laughs> it was difficult for my husband to figure out. He knows by now, though. April, what is good with you? Well, um, because Tom Petty died, RIP, I have been planning a Tom Petty karaoke night. And that has been really great to kind of revisit his catalog and even revisit the Peter Bogdanovich uh, four-hour documentary that's on Netflix about him and his life and his music. And I just have always really liked his music. I know it's just like older white dude music, but I just cannot get enough of his brand of Americana. <laughs> Can I suggest that you call it a wakey-okey? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can suggest it. <laughs> You're not committed. No, I'm going to think. <laughs> Ricky, what's good? Uh, what's good with me? Uh, hey, because it is hard to wake up today in today's world and think to yourself, how am I going to get through this day? Uh, I just want to say shout out to all my beautiful brown skin people out there. Remember that you're a beautiful brown-skinned person, and that's lovely as fuck. That was beautiful. That, that, that was lovely. I like to consider myself a poet, and that's the most poetic thing you're going to get out of me <laughs> today. Uh, as I said, we're going to talk about Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. But we'll start off the show with the lovely segment that we love to call It a Dick, which stands for Is This Important? And Do I Care? How this segment works is... I will read a news blurb or a headline, and I will ask the two people sitting in the room with me here, is this important? Do I care? So let's just jump right into it. 
The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences expelled Harvey Weinstein this past weekend. The host of Last Week Tonight, John Oliver, called out that hypocrisy. He, uh, let's take a listen to a clip from his show right now. Yes, finally, the group that counts among its current members, Roman Polanski, Bill Cosby and Mel Gibson, has found the one guy who treated women badly and kicked him out. So, congratulations, Hollywood. See you at the next Oscars, where, and this is true, Casey Affleck will be presenting Best Actress. Is this important to you all, and do you care? I'm so fucking mad. <laughs> I love that Alonzo just like clears the floor and says, April? <laughs> waves it to Take me. This, please. I'm so fucking mad. Uh, uh, wow. I mean, it's great for PR. Wow. We're taking out Weinstein, not even the other Weinstein. We'll take one out. Yeah. There is definitely a narrative forming of like, like, this is the bad seed, and we're going to get rid of him, and then everything's going to be all fixed. Yeah. And it's like, mm, you know, it, 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 it clearly this is this is a thing that goes much deeper and much broader. I think one of the great things about the, 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 the really tragic, you know, my Facebook and Twitter feeds being covered with Me Too, you know, is just how endemic to the system this is. And so the idea that like, oh, we we banished Harvey. It's all good from here on out. You can all stop paying attention to Hollywood hiring practices now because we fixed the problem. We got rid of the bad man. Yeah. What, what I think has been really interesting about the last week is seeing how many people are telling very specific stories now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, people are starting to name names. I mean, Charlene Yee calling out David Cross. Which you is know. huge. Yeah. I mean, like, and I, more of it. Let's have it. Let's, 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 let's point all the fingers and, 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 and do the real talk. Moving on, in the wake of what has been happening, women everywhere are sharing their own stories of sexual harassment and assault. At the annual L Women of Hollywood event this past week, Jennifer Lawrence and Reese Witherspoon talked about their own struggles as women in the film industry. Here's what Reese Witherspoon had to say. A lot of the feelings I've been having about anxiety, about being honest, um, the guilt for not speaking up earlier, or taking action... um, true disgust at the director who assaulted me when I was 16 years old and um, anger that I felt at the agents and the producer. With all that being said, is this important? Do you care? I, I the thing I keep coming back to is I just remember the Anita Hill hearings, and mm. that was sort of the first time that people that the phrase sexual harassment really became part of the daily lexicon. And I think it, there was a ripple effect where HR departments started taking more seriously and, and there were, you know, there was more in the corporate culture, you saw more sort of sensitivity training and more explicit rules being laid out about like, you cannot do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And it's not like, oh, well, we fixed it. But at least it's a thing where people acknowledge that it's happening. They know how to spot it. There are avenues ideally in which they can report it, although obviously not always. Um, and so I think it's amazing that, you know, the 
this all stems from the the you know uh, the, the the journalistic efforts at the New York Times and the New Yorker, and then the brave women who talked to those reporters in the first place. Uh, and I think now you know yeah we're we're seeing celebs talking about it. We're seeing you know below the line people talking about it. And uh, you know we're not going to magically fix this anytime soon. But I think that at least this conversation is going to lead to some good things and some changes where people aren't just going to be able to sort of get away with this stuff. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was very powerful and very untouchable, and he is now neither of those things. I think it, I mean, do you guys remember the Yes All Women hashtag from a few years back? Yes. It was the exact same thing. It was the exact same thing happened. And I think I posted about this where, like, I am old enough to remember when that did nothing and we thought it was going to do something. Yet you have to be young enough to still have hope that this is going to be the thing that does something. We're actually seeing um, a few more solid, concrete um, um, uh, solutions offered, which is so much better than we had a few years ago. And I think what a lot of um, younger folks who are listening out there, if you guys are feeling, you know, really sad and you feel like it's just not happening fast enough, um, real change takes a really long time. And um, I've been I've been speaking out about this stuff. I'm, I'm almost 36 now, but I've been speaking out about it pretty clearly for about 15 years now. And I'm starting to realize that the older I get, the longer it, it it takes. But there will be real change. Film students at UCLA got an unexpected visit. They were watching a screening of Get Out for their class, Sunken Place, Racism, Survival, and Black Horror Aesthetic, when the film's director, the one and only Jordan Peele, friend of the show. I made that last part up. <laughs> <laughs> but we love him. Yes, we do. We're big I'm fans. Big fan. Indeedy. Indeedy. Uh, showed up in the class. The professor, author Tana... Tanana Riva Due. See what I'm I believe. I believe. Yeah, I mean, you said that I with such... Have to, I have to ask her with the... You said that with such confidence. I wasn't even going to question you. I was just like, <laughs> that's what it is right there. The professor, author Tananarive Due was in on the secret. She asked the class... What do you think the director was trying to say about the coveting of black bodies? Then from the back, in a hoodie, Mr. Jordan Peele raised his hand. The class freaked out. Then he talked to them about why he made Get Out. Is this important? Do you care when a director of one of the biggest movies of the year shows up in the classroom and is like, I have something to say about that? Is that is that that unusual for USC and UCLA? It seems to me like they're always having filmmakers drop in. Like, aren't there entire classes that are just built around filmmakers showing up and showing their new movie anyway? This, this I is mean, not good the, on them and all, but it's not in the filmmaking program though. This is the thing. Oh, it's, um, a, it's a she, history theory criticism. Yeah, she's okay. um she's a um a really prolific and fascinating um sci-fi and horror author. Oh, and so this is in a different side of the program, which is it's great. He's it's he's privileging these literature kids, you know. <laughs> didn't even know. Nice. It was a very special day in college when the woman who ran craft services for Love Jones showed up. (laughs) She's got some stories. So many Lorenz Tate stories. So many Lorenz Tate stories. When, uh, when I when I teach, if I can't, you know, I've, I've taught film classes a couple times now, and on those there there are weeks that I can't be there. I have asked friends of mine who are filmmakers to go and sort of guest lecture, and uh, sadly, my students always enjoyed those a lot more than when I was there. So. <laughs> We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be reviewing the film Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. You're listening to Who Shot You. We'll be right back. 
Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases. I ask them questions. They're good ones. And then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flowbie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio, I have Alonzo and April. Today, we're going to take a look at the movie Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Let's listen to a clip of Professor Marston pitching his idea for Wonder Woman to his wife, Elizabeth, and their lover, Olive. A comic book, Bill? Well, it's perfect. I'm going to inject my ideas right into the thumping heart of America. I mean, I'll get a real artist to draw it properly. She's an Amazon princess that lives on an island of all women. Paradise Island. And a man crash lands on the island. Uh, yeah, Steve Trevor the spy. And she wears a burlesque outfit. Well, it's athletic. And silver bracelets. They deflect bullets. And all her friends and helpers are sorority girls who have spanking parties and everybody fights Nazis and rides in an invisible plane. Yes. For a quick synopsis of the film, I'm going to throw it to my man Alonzo here. Alonzo, could you tell us what Professor Marson and the Wonder Woman is about, please? Sure. So it's about the the true-ish story of Professor uh, William Moulton Marston, who's played by Luke Evans, and uh, his wife Elizabeth, uh, played by the wonderful Rebecca Hall. Uh, they he's a, he's a Harvard professor. She has completed a doctorate, but because of the sexism of the 1930s, they'll give her a Radcliffe degree, but not a Harvard degree. And uh, in you know he has these ideas about, in the sort of nascent study of psychology, about the idea of uh, submission and dominance, uh, that 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 he kind of that that we'll see come out later as he creates the comic book. Into their lives comes a student named Olive, played by Bella Heathcote, um, who comes from sort of a line of radical feminists. Her mother, her her aunt is the famous uh, uh, Margaret Sanger, who uh, advocated for uh, for contraception for women. Her mother was also a, a feminist. And uh, first, William kind of falls for her, and then so does Elizabeth, and uh, it's reciprocal. And uh, the three of them form a, a very unconventional triad that gets uh, the Marstons fired from Harvard. Uh, they try to sort of live a discreet life in the suburbs. Both women have children by uh, William, and they try and keep that a secret from the neighbors. And in the meantime, uh, through a confluence of various uh, influences and events, he creates the character of Wonder Woman. And uh, the film is sort of told in flashback as he is explaining all of this to an uptight child psychologist played by uh, Connie Britton, who is is sort of beginning the era of comics watchdogging that's going to lead to the Senate hearings and the publication of The Seduction of the Innocent and the Comics Code and all sorts of other terrible things. 
That was thorough as fuck. Dude. That was <laughs> so good. Thank you. I was just like, is he, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Is he going to do it? And he did. He did. That was our segment called Thorough as Fuck. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of Professor Marson and the Wonder Woman? I enjoyed it. I, I, I was just soothed by its... <laughs> I, radical normal normalcy yeah you know no, it's like it's the least hysterical movie about polyamory i've ever seen oh god <laughs> you know with the possible exception of like you know the tom teak for the german director made a film called three a few years ago where mm. a married couple both has an both have an affair with the same guy um yeah this is uh you know it's a it's this it's this gorgeous period piece and yet it's about these like sexual rebels and it's an origin story for this iconic character um and it's a movie about, you know, it, it, smart people who are good at their jobs, which I like. <laughs> and it's very sexy. And it's, it, it is it is a, 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 a it's presenting a three way relationship in a way that doesn't feel like a stock male fantasy. And I think that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the fact that the great Angela Robinson, who is a, uh, a, a lesbian POC filmmaker, um, is is telling the story very much with an eye towards the Wonder Women. You know, the, it's not just Professor Marston's story. And the two of them have a relationship and a sexual relationship that operates independently of him, even though he also has his own relationships with each of those two women. So it doesn't feel like, you know, dear penthouse forum. There, there's, there's, there, there's a moment where uh, Professor Marston is just watching the both of them from afar. Yeah. And then... It cuts to him slowly walking towards to them. And it's just like a shot of like his like arm and them kind of like in the background, like out of focus. And I really appreciate that it was like, oh, we're going to take our time to get there. It was just kind of like, hey, no, this is like. This isn't porn. It's going to be how three people would actually respond in this situation. I felt like they very could have easily put it in his point of view Mm. of like, oh, damn, finally, I've been waiting for these two. It just wasn't it wasn't that at all. It was a very, I thought, calculated. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're, we're we're, we're easing into this. And it's. And the way that scene unfolds, I, I enjoyed it very much. It's it's in, it's in this like campus theater, and so Olive is dressed in this sort of like kind of traditional Greek kind of Aphrodite outfit. Um, Professor Marsden winds up putting on like a military jacket and hat, and Elizabeth puts on this sort of leopard skin coat. So. It's all images we would see later in Wonder Woman. And, and, and that, movies can be a little precious with that sort of thing, mm-hmm. like where, you know, everyone's you – know, every, every, every visual thing they see is a cue that they're yeah. going to later all go the into the work. Yeah, yeah sure. but, but it, for me it was like – it was just subtle enough to like, ah, okay, I see what you're doing here. That's, yeah. that's that, that – okay, I'll allow it. Yeah, very, very <laughs> much. It, it earned – like the, the last shot it earns of like – uh, both of the women in and him in silhouette with like the the the, the sun behind them mm. standing over them like oh okay I see where you're going with this this is going to be the representation of these two I mean I I, I guess I I didn't know that much about I mean why would I I didn't know anything about Professor Marsden so I, I like the idea of what he believed in and that it was told. Uh, just not in a sexual way. I watched the. I went after this movie was over. I went home. I watched the extras. I watched the bonus features on Batman versus Superman. But I was like, oh yeah, that's right. They tell the story 
of Professor Marston in this, and I just kind of like want to see what DC ha- uh, DC had to say about it. No mention at all of Olive. None at all. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I could see that it's like, hey, we're selling Batman versus Superman here. We're, we're not going to get into the the social aspect of it. But that's it's just such an interesting story for there to be no mention of it at all. I was like, oh, this is. Well, I mean, not hitting on that. It's one of those things where I I feel like the Warner Brothers people are going to like try to bury this story because they're they're thinking maybe the American public is not ready for this <laughs> loving polyamorous uh, relationship from eighty years ago. From eighty years ago, <laughs> like they're just not ready for it. I mean, they're not even ready just for like a gay relationship. They're, it's our it's it's so. I mean, it, yeah. it's ridiculous. Well, and queer history is erased every time you turn around. <laughs> for sure, but that's why you know I think. I I think about this constantly where as I was watching the film I realized it like I said it's radical <clears throat> pardon me it's radical normalcy it is so normal that it makes you feel like you are the total weirdo for even thinking that this polyamorous relationship would be like like gross a or a problem yeah and I was like that's exactly what I would like to see I would like to see this normalized and I would like to see it in a Hollywood way because this you know you look at this and I you know it doesn't have like the the giant budget of like most big kind of Hollywood biopic stuff but it is a Hollywood romance movie it is yeah and and, and also like sorry to, to, to build on that yeah, on the one hand, it is it's very normal. It is very you know sort of idealized and 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 not turned into this hysterical thing. But it is sexy and it is hot mm-hmm. and and you know they it's not like the three of them you know make this sort of cozy house together and that's it. It's like no, they also like to tie each other up. There's some doubt about whether or not Elizabeth and Olive had a sexual relationship with one another. So this film is director Angela Robinson's interpretation of that. Uh, how did you all feel? Watching the movie, did you did you did you get that impression? Well, I know we got a Twitter question about this from Dave. I don't even know how you say this. It's no, got about no, six A's in it and three Y's. I feel like you could have taken it longer. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it's very Harry Belafonte. Dave. <laughs> Uh, asking about the historical inaccuracies and if it would have been, you know, would, is it a, asking is it a better story than if Robinson had talked to the family? And obviously, we have no way of knowing what that movie would be like. This is the one that she made. Um, I kind of take it for granted that biopics might occasionally accidentally veer into the neighborhood of the truth. So I don't come away from them thinking like I just saw a documentary. Um, I think this movie feels emotionally true, uh, you know, like as a drama, basically, whether or not it reflects what actually happened in that household. But, you know, it is true that those two women lived together for decades after Professor Marston's death. So, you know, I I think that's at least up to interpretation, because certainly the the decades we're talking about included like the, you know, 50s. And so I'm sure there was a lot that wasn't talked about. Yeah, I think there's there's a I'm I'm with Alonzo where I expect there to be liberties taken. I just hope that they are in service of the story. I do think that these are probably in service of telling a good story, something that is inspiring and, you know, thoughtful and and tries to portray each character um, as an equal point of this three-pointed relationship. Um, If I think about ones where I don't like the liberties, I still have an axe to grind about Battle of the Sexes, but... um, (laughs) The biggest thing that I took away from this movie is 
Rebecca Hall, I want her to be a movie star. I think she's、mm. fantastic. She does a great job. I've only seen, uh, uh, full disclosure, the, the, the last movie I saw her in was Christine. And in both,、oh. in, in Christine and in this movie, I feel like she's the smartest person in the room and doesn't know how to. Play that card the right way yet. She just likes to let you know, I'm the smartest person in the room, and you're a fucking idiot for not being able to keep up with me.、Uh, what did you all think of the performances in this movie?、Uh, Rebecca Hall, Luke Evans.、Uh, well, Rebecca Hall, I have to say, also was trying to develop this film、um, before Angela Robinson had, in, independently of it. She had been wanting to make this film for years. So, I think that、um, when she teamed up with Angela Robin- Robinson,、um, a lot of that script, a lot of the development came from her involvement early on and being super knowledgeable about this story and these characters. Like, he, she had been thinking about this character that she was doing apparently for a really long time.、Hmm. So, you can see that kind of developed and very mature performance where she knows exactly what this person wants, her weaknesses, and, you know, just how to make the most cutting remark. Hit. <laughs> oh, God, she's so cutting. Yeah, I、too. mean, when she like, says shit, I'm like, oh, I'm, don't, don't, nobody respects that. Oh, my God, she's、that. so mean.、Right? Yeah. <laughs> it, she it, should I, have a purse full of mics that she could just drop. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm saying this just from her physical appearance.、Uh, Rebecca Hall, will she be our, our generation's Sigourney Weaver? Because I was also getting that vibe from her. I feel like when I look at Sigourney Weaver, just class, classy. Sigourney Weaver always has that Yale drama thing happening. Yes. And, and, there you go. Yes. And, and, and、uh, this is a British actress, but you know. Rebecca Hall's British? She's、yeah. British. Really? Yeah. Like yeah, with yeah. an accent and everything? The whole、oh, thing.、Yeah. Really? They're, so,、yeah. they're such spies. They、wow. just they come over here and they do our voices so well. I know, know. And I can't do theirs at all. I'm、I、like,、know. hello, Gavner. <laughs> <laughs> Pop in for a cup of tea. Go eat my baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's great.、Uh, I liked Bella Heathcote a lot. I don't know that I had seen her in much before this. I mean, Neon Demon. Oh, I, well, that's true. I'm、yes. one of the few people who was just like, that movie fucking rocks. There was a few things that I hated about it, but I was so, so into it. And I was also so、mm. into her performance. There were a few、well. things I didn't hate about it, but that's,、mm. a, that's a conversation for another day. All right, all right. <laughs>、uh, We can no, go yeah, back I, in time. But yeah, she is,、um, you know, it, it's a cliche to call an actress luminescent, but I think that she really. She is, she is, you know, Angela Robinson is lighting her in such a sort of old school movie star kind of way that she just, you know,、uh, really pops on the screen. And these are all, because we're so used to this kind of story and this kind of relationship being told badly, like we know the pitfalls that these. Characters could have fallen into. Like, she could have been this sort of, like, you know, wide eyed ingenue who stumbles into this sexual, you know, trap without knowing what's going on. And, and the Rebecca Hall character could have been sort of this, you know, conniving,、uh, whatever. And, and they all really, like, tap into. Uh, they're, they're, they're all really smart. We don't get enough movies about smart people. And these are like, they're all really intelligent, even if they aren't always emotionally intelligent. But,、um, you know, they, they're very,、uh, they know how to talk about what they're feeling and, and while they're feeling it and how it, it, it's affecting each other. And,、uh, and Luke Evans, who, you know, I have run hot and cold with him、uh, over the course of, of his career so far, but、uh, I just think the three of them are dynamite. 
Well, I feel like I kind of know what your answers are going to be based on what we all just said. But I will ask you, uh, to everybody else who's listening, what would you rec- recommend to them? Should they screen this? Should they stream it? Or should they skip it? Support Angela Robinson and all of her work. Go and screen this film. Yes. Go buy a ticket. You are voting for more movies like this. I concur 100%. Go see this movie. Give it your money so we can see more movies like this. Uh, I enjoyed very much Professor Marston and the Woman, and I enjoyed uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, and I enjoyed talking to you uh, about it. When we come back, we will be debuting a new segment called The Hot Seat, where we have the director of My Friend Dahmer, Mark Myers, joining us. April will be leading that discussion. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Who Shot Ya? Hey, you, with the headphones. Just between you and me, the MaxFun store just got some of that sweet, sweet new merchant stock. You know, that merch from your favorite MaxFun shows? Could be posters, tote bags, shirts, stickers, patches, aprons. We got it all. Well, we got a lot. Point is, there's some new stuff. Go to MaxFunStore.com. Welcome back to Who Shot You. I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio are... April Wolf. Alonzo Duraldi. Tonight, we're debuting a new segment called The Hot Seat. April, would you do the honors, please? Sure. The Hot Seat is reserved for individuals whose work has impressed us so much, and we feel compelled to talk to them about it. Today, we are joined by Mark Myers, who directed the fascinating, thrilling, and kind of funny My Friend Dahmer, uh, tells the story of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer's high school years. So, Mark Myers, welcome to The Hot Seat. Hi. Thank you for having me. I would like to ask you first... What made you adapt My Friend Dahmer into a movie? What is this thing that drew you to this movie? You know, it's funny. I I never thought it was such an unusual idea until I've met more people now with it. Now the movie's done, and they're like, "Why would you make this movie?" But um, uh, it it was a domino effect of various things. I I had this idea that a portrait of a serial killer as a young boy would be an interesting concept for an indie film. Um, I remembered a friend of mine from high school that we thought, Oh, he'll be a serial killer by the way in which he behaves. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, also was looking at graphic novels as like source material. Cause I sort of knew that that was a great space that I could find some interesting subversive kind of stories out there. Then, um, I discovered this book very early on and immediately locked onto it and talked to the author and, and convinced him that I was the guy that should take this book and turn it into a movie. Well, what do you, I mean, when you're reading that, um, that specific graphic novel, what is it about Dahmer's character that, that made you, uh, find him appealing in some ways? Well, I mean, I think the the interesting thing about that story is it's the story before that story that we all know about the monster. And so what you have here is a high school movie. Um, and just one of the guys happens to be um, the kid that will one day become a serial killer. And so in it is a high school film. Well, I mean, how would you I, characterize him? You, did you find him? I thought he was pretty funny in these ways. He's also a very sad character, but he's... Yeah, and he also, what I felt like what I was designing was so that an audience could see 
the seeds of all of the different parts of a character that must fuse together to create a successful serial killer. You have to be charming and smart and persuasive, but also have these tendencies that are going beyond the boundaries that anyone else would go. So there's, there's, you, you can't be, I imagine you can't be a really schlubby, unwashed, smelly person. And then also try to convince people to come to your house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So you, you, you know, so watching all the formation of someone realizing that their powers of persuasion, um, their charm, the ability to have the attention put on them, um, and that the Dahmer fan club gets formed, all of these things start to fuse together right on screen. And can you tell us real quick what this Dahmer fan club is so people who haven't seen it will get a little clue of what's in the film? Right. So a bunch of uh, true story and, and it actually happened and it's in the book and now in the movie is that a bunch of band nerds and other, you know, sort of like lower caste syst- kids from the like the lower caste system of high school. They gathered around Dahmer because they thought he was a funny oddball character like them themselves. And and they kind of labeled themselves the Dahmer fan club because of the stunts they would pull in high school. They Dahmer would spaz out and have epile- fake epileptic fits in the hallways and they would do other stunts that basically helped them pass the time. So he became sort of their mascot but also their friend. And um, they called themselves the Dahmer fan club. And I think every school has got like a bunch of kids that are just trying to find ways to like subvert high school and pass the time. You know, it's it's such a fine line between making this person too sympathetic in, in this way. You know, we know what he becomes and you don't want to, you know, uh, whitewash that and kind of um, over forgive these things that he's doing because of his background. You know, he he did the really terrible, terrible things. You know, that's it's such a difficult um, subject matter to tackle. I mean, were you worried about becoming too empathetic with him, or? Um, I was. I I think I was just mostly just trying to be honest. The material, the source material, was honest and it was based on fact, and I was trying to honor that. And trust that by doing that, we would just understand the the person in in a in a deeper way. So I guess other people have then cast on you know the words empathy and and sympathy towards it. But it's also our goal with any character, <laughs> no matter how horrible they are and how horrible this man will become and do unforgivable um, crimes. It's just that. Every character you create, you sort of have to give reason for the audience to empathize with. So I thought it was sort of just my job. I kept I kept waiting for the scene, like the the Carrie scene where the pig blood gets dropped on her, and we find out like, oh, this is why she's so evil. They did this to her, <laughs> and we don't get that. We just kind of get his his days in high school, and it was just kind of like, oh. It, it's real. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, you're, you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, very, I very, see. This is real. I mean, we want to have like, so. like the one inciting incident, you know, in the way that we tell stories. That's that's going to say like, oh, well, this is what made him a serial killer. This is what turned him evil. But he's not evil, is the thing. There's there's a different kind of evil inside of him. It it, it makes it more difficult to parse. Yeah, I figured I felt like with this story and it's also in the book, it's just like it's not trying we're not psychiatrists. We're not trying to put all the labels to sort of give you a concrete diagnosis of why he did something, but to show all of the forces that were at play both 
personally and around him that help contribute to the making of the monster so that you can understand the direction he's heading heading in and and that i think was uh, is a far more horrifying thing to experience than to feel like you've gotten the diagnosis of like why he's now going to go out and become a serial killer so um it just felt organic to me that way. But there is an inciting incident in the movie, which is that the dad takes the hut and destroys it in the jars. Because at that point, I felt that the character of Jeff is now, you know, all of his impulses that were now contained in jars, the roadkill, is now being unleashed. And so he's looking for other places to put those proclivities. So, and that's the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give it away. <laughs> Don't tell us how it ends. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Mark, for um, talking with us today on Who Shot Ya? And um, we wish you a lot of luck with your movie, My Friend Dahmer. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy to join you guys. Thank you for joining us, Mark Myers. Uh, much appreciated. Now we're at the point of the show where we like to recommend our staff picks to you. This is where each week... Uh, myself, Alonzo, April, or whoever our guest host is, we recommend movies for you to watch, whether they be streaming online, whether there's something you can see in the theater, what have you. April, what do you recommend for the people today? I am recommending one that I got a screener for and I watched it on my computer and was just like, oh, it's going to be this movie about, you know, the AIDS crisis and like the early 90s. You know, I've seen something like this and it blew me away. It's style. It's um, um, just grace. It's compassion was something that I had not seen before. It's funny. Um, it's called BPM Beats Per Minute. It's a French film and it's about um, one uh, based on one man's accounts of his um, uh, time in ACT UP Paris. And it's, I believe, set in 1991. And it's so... Um, God, how do I describe this? The way that this director looks at the gay community is so beautiful, and it shows how even if there's infighting in this group in ACT UP, that everyone comes together. It's a, It's about kind of an ensemble. It's about the collective and what the collective goal is. And it it makes you feel alive and it makes these characters feel alive, which is why it's so, so um, terrible, this feeling that you get when you understand that, you know, a lot of these characters' fates are sealed. It's, uh, it's, it's, tremendously moving and I know a lot of people will be like oh something about the AIDS crisis I don't know if I want to like feel sad but this is something that even if you're crying you feel like oh my god like this is humanity this is everything so please see this in the theater BPM beats per minute thank you very much Alonzo I'm, I'm first of all just so thrilled that you love this movie because I loved it but I'm so it's demo <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. was 24 and going to ACT UP meetings in 1991 so you know yeah of course I love it but the fact that like you know this is not your experience and you were still able to see how incredibly powerful and uh, and and sexy and all the things that it is yeah 
I second that emotion for sure. Uh, my pick this week is uh, Yorgos Lantimos' new film, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. If you don't know the name Yorgos Lantimos, you do know <laughs> The Lobster, the movie he directed last year uh, with Colin Farrell, which got a, an Oscar nomination for Best Screenplay. Uh, he teams up again with Farrell and um, Nicole Kidman. They play a married couple. They're both doctors. They have a couple of kids. They live in a lovely house in the suburbs. I don't want to tell you anything about what this movie is about because I walked in cold not knowing anything and it made it even better. It is one of the creepiest ass movies I've seen in a long time. It just – you thought Mother was an uncomfortable sit. Like this one just puts you through the ringer but it is so fascinating and just compelling and you don't know what's going to happen next and oh my god and uh, uh, it's great. Go see it. And I have to say that it is in my top – like 10 of endings of movies of all time. The end of that movie was something that that hit me in a way where I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so see it and read nothing about it. Don't enter into conversations about it. Just go in and let it happen. Who directed that movie? Yorgos Lantimos. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's when people are so proud to say Chiaweti Ejiofor. Like, like people always just want to let you know. I know how to pronounce his name. That movie. You know, have you you haven't seen uh, Firefly? Do you know who's in that? Chiaweti Ejiofor. Okay, I, I got it. It took me years to it took me years to learn how to say Apichatpong Virasethakul. So you know, you got to bust it out whenever you can. I can't even spell Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> now you all get like paid to go see movies and like handle all that like we're on episode seven right now and here's the struggle that i find myself happening is ricky do we watch uh do we watch i'm in love with a church girl starring ja rule <laughs> and see if we can find something to recommend uh to people in that what I did watch was a documentary uh, that is on HBO Go right now that is about an independent film director named Steven Spielberg. Uh, this documentary is called Spielberg. I hope I hope he makes it. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but this Spielberg guy is a pretty good goddamn director. No, but like I think now we take it for granted with how many the the options of movies that we have and who directs those movies and who your favorite movie director is. I feel like if I ask somebody who their favorite movie director is right now, the answer that they give me is not going to be when I was growing up, the and the uh, I could say he's either going to say Coppola or he's going to say Scorsese or he's going to say Spielberg or he's going to say this. Uh, that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. There's and there's no director. Maybe David Fincher, Ugh. and that's just a name I just picked off the top of my head right there. It's a name I made up. <laughs> <laughs> Who is kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, we all love David Fincher movies. No, we don't all love David Fincher movies, but he's a he's a he's a popular director. Christopher Nolan, like Christopher like, Nolan. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, sure, uh, yeah. J, you're J J Abrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your sure. your ghost Lantimos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just wanted to throw that in. Again. <laughs> please, <Yeah>. Obi, <laughs> yeah. throw that yeah. in forever, ever, please. Uh, it's not just like a hey Steven Spielberg, how fucking great is he, right? There's there's good conversation that that happens in the movie. So uh, Spielberg, if you make HBO people, uh, it's streaming on HBO right now. Watch that documentary. 
That's been our show, y'all. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Hey, for everybody who's listening out there and who has subscribed to us on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a, a five-star review on there. Because if you do, we'll give you a goddamn shout-out. Like, shout-out to... Deuce? D-U-U-S-S? Uh... This is the comment they left. I love the team he has assembled for this show. First of all, I want to thank you for knowing that it was my idea to put this team together, not my producer's ideas. I was all like, find me, oh, April Wolf. Oh, you're the Nick Fury. <laughs> exactly. And get me Alonzo Duraldi. Stat! And they made it happen. Like, within five minutes, I was like, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining the team. I got thrown into a van. I had no idea. Yes, it was wonderful. I was just like, I, I love candy. <laughs> Free? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Bode of Rockport 51 for calling this a great show. Thank you. We are a great show. <laughs> Next week, we'll be doing something different. We are not going to be reviewing a new release movie. Halloween season is coming up, so we're going to be talking about our favorite Halloween movies, movies that we think you should watch, everything Halloween-centric. Instead of a who shot ya, it's going to be more like boo shot ya. I did not write that joke. Uh, if you want any personalized movie recommendations, uh, feel free to tweet us at Who Shot Ya Pod, or you can email us at Who Shot Ya at MaximumFun.org. I want to thank April and Alonzo for joining me as always. Thank you, April. Thank you, Alonzo. You're so welcome. Thank you. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This has been a production of MaximumFun.org. That's what's up. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.